0: Thank you for joining us once again at Sex and Life. My name is Eli Jaquen, your host, as always. And as always, with me is Joe. How you doing? And today we have Eva with us. And Eva runs a polyamorous group. Mm -hmm. What is polyamorous? What does it mean?
1: Uh, The basic no holds barred kind of definition is polyamorous, is the ability to love multiple people. Um, Most people in our culture are monogamous, and so they choose to romantically love one person in their life. And polyamory just embellishes that and incorporates many romantic loves, just like we would have many friendships, many siblings. We, All of us have two parents. So, you know, we embellish that number of one to many.
0: So is there a a difference between uh, being in a poly relationship and and being in an open relationship? Um, My personal definition? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Um, Open relationships from what I have read and what I have witnessed, people that say that they're in open relationships, um, tend to still hold on strongly to the core relationship. Um, So it is still A romantic relationship of two people who choose to uh, be non monogamous and carry out relationships with, or not relationships, sexual interactions with multiple people. But they are, tend to be emotionally monogamous to one another. And that's the difference between open relationships and polyamorous relationships is that uh, polyamory believes that you can be emotionally in love and connected to multiple people and that's not just uh, at the same time at the same time yes
0: so is it is it like uh like an emotional threesome all the time or or is it you know you love partner a and you also love partner b and you live with neither of them Mm -hmm. and you just balance your time well,
1: one of the things that I love saying is that for as many people that participate in polyamory, there are that many definitions and that many configurations. So what you just described, um, an emotional threesome, would be called a triad. So you've got three people that interact with one another somewhat on an equal basis. You can't absolutely have anything perfect. Um, and then the second configuration that you talked about where somebody has a partner A and a partner B is called a v formation. So they that one person would act as the hinge and they would interact with these two people separately. Um, those are just two configurations and they, the configurations can grow from there. I can be one partner that can have up to 10 partners. And then I don't know what that would look like. You know, it would, uh, many people like to call their, their networks webs or very similar to a family tree or, um, something that has really uh, come on the map lately is something called a polycule. So something that looks very similar to a molecule. And if you have, <laughs> you have multiple people within this polycule that interact with one another, but not necessarily all interacting with one another.
2: So now I'm picturing the uh, Moscow subway system. Yes. Is that inter-linking yes. web? Which is, things going Different
1: colors. Here. That's what yeah. some people's polycules look like.
0: So I guess it'd be fair to say that that the term polyamorous is much like the term artist. Yes. You know, you can call someone an artist, but well, what kind of art? Yep. You, know, is, you is have it, to get down to specifics. That's it. You know, yep. and, and, and you know, cubism is different than, than real-life portraits mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, there's lots of flavors of polyamory. So someone may identify to me and say they're polyamorous, and I'll say, okay, that's great. Now let's have a conversation. What does your poly look like to you?
0: That's because... Love is something that you can have an abundance of. It's not a finite resource.
1: I absolutely believe that every single human being is polyamorous. We just don't all have multiple romantic partnerships. But we all love multiple people in our lives. There's not one person in much, this Much to my chagrin in some cases. <laughs> right. Right. But if you love your parents and you love your siblings and you love your children and you love your cousins and you love all your friends, you're polyamorous. You are loving multiple people. It's Polyamorous people take that next step and have romantic partnerships in multiple forms.
0: Do you find, because I mean, it's, it's not a new concept. No. Um, you know, being a child of, of some hippies, mm-hmm. I've learned more about their sex life than I want to. Yep. <laughs> yep. But it's, how did you know that you were poly? When did you oh. discover that world?
1: I had just gotten out of a long-term relationship and I was, I was always monogamous. Like I went from a 10-year monogamous marriage to a monogamous two-year relationship with a woman. And when that ended, which I expected she was going to be my life partner for my life. So when it ended, it was like, wow. um, I took a period of about a year by myself, um, explored my sexuality, explored really what I wanted my relationships to look like from there on out and um, met a woman who told me she was in an open marriage and went oh my god sign me up I could so do this and thankfully our generation is blessed with the internet and all you have to do is type in open relationship and you get flooded with stuff and slowly from there Not even even slowly. Right away, I I read about polyamory and went, that's more my fit than open relationship. Just about the distinction that we made earlier. I had zero desire at that time um, to primary partnership. I had no desire to become somebody's one and only again and then open up from there. I always wanted to have my relationships be open and I always wanted to have a live out situation. So reading, the only information that really came to me was about primary partners who were opening up their relationships. And so that was a really difficult way to navigate some of my relationships because I felt like I would always be what I have now come to learn, the unicorn, right? I would always be the unicorn coming into (laughs) um, a primary couplings relationship, whether I dated one of them or both of them, I was always the single.
0: So just going off of what I know about unicorns. If I drink your blood, will that give me life forever?
1: Absolutely, it will.
0: Awesome. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Now, see, I, growing up, Mm -hmm. I understood that a relationship was between uh, two people. And my my parents were liberal enough to to say, it can be boys, girls, whatever. That's awesome. In fact, first time I told my mom that uh, I was dating a a transgender person, she said, Why? If you want to experiment, suck a dick. Get with a real guy. Right. (laughs) But. uh,
1: (laughs) Some people just don't understand. Like, they can go so far, but they can't seem to go all the way. And and that's what uh, transgender people are now, you know, breaking the mold for that, which is awesome, though. Like, I mean, everything in its due time.
0: That's it. Uh, But. When, and then when I slept around, because I've never been good at monotony, Mm
1: -hmm. Monopoly. No, monotony. You're absolutely right.
0: (laughs) Uh, there would be this, this, uh, self-hatred that I've put on myself. Mm
1: -hmm. The shame and guilt.
0: The the shame and guilt. And And I was, as I grew up, um, I, I truly believe that uh, guilt is a useless emotion. Mm-hmm. Whatever we do, we did it for what seemed like a good idea at the time. Yep. Did you find your, that you went through that? Do you find that a lot of people that you talk to about uh, polyamorous relationships went through that at some point?
1: I think that whenever you challenge um, any kind of societal accepted structure, you're going to come across guilt and shame because mm-hmm. you don't have any effective role models in your life to say, this is normal. This is okay. And you have to seek them out yourself or you have to be one. And that is what I strive to do. And I wasn't finding enough um, role models for me. There weren't, there were some books written out. Like, I mean, I think Tristan Terramino's opening up is what I call my poly Bible and it is well worked. I've got um, post-it notes throughout it, Of my favorite parts, they're highlighted. I can flip through it at any time I pick up that book. Even though, you know, people tell me I'm a veteran poly person, you're not. You're a human being, and you're constantly changing and evolving. So I will refer back to that book and go, wow, that's how I felt in 2008, because I remember highlighting that in 2008, and I don't feel that way anymore. So that's how I've, you know, come to grow and change. So, yeah.
3: So how how long have
1: you been poly? Um, It was December 2007 that I met that woman that said, open relationship, and I went, wow. And 2008, I got the book after doing enough research. And we carried on that relationship on and off because, you know, every brand new poly relationship has its bumps in the road. And while her and her wife... She believed that they had negotiated an open relationship, but when she approached her wife <laughs> with this dynamic, uh, her wife actually said, Hell no, I don't share. So, communication, right? Uh, mm-hmm. They had actually had a discussion that said, We are co parenting right now. That's our primary interaction. We're going to co parent and we're going to do whatever we need to to serve ourselves. One partner, believed that that meant go and carry on other relationships. And the other partner thought that that was something like needle pointing or some other <laughs> hobby. I've, so.
0: I've actually been in, in relationships where I say, I'm never going to be faithful. Yes. And for but some reason wrong. they say, Oh, he's going to be faithful. I'll change him.
1: I disagree with that though. I, I like being polyamorous and, and redefining words. So faithful, being faithful to me means following my word and, being true to my own integrity does faithful mean that i am going to be exclusive no exclusive will never come in my vocabulary unless i say i will not be exclusive um (laughs) loyalty can i be loyal to multiple partners sure fucking right i can absolutely
0: explain the term fluid bonding
1: fluid bonding um well when you have sexual interactions there's fluid that goes on um And unfortunately, in our day and age, that fluid carries some risk, especially with multiple interactions and multiple fluids exchanging. Um, So once you go through the process of, of figuring out that neither partner has any risks, you can decide to become fluid bonded with that partner where you're not using any barriers anymore. And barriers can run the gamut of dental dams and gloves to just condoms. Um, some people go with anything and everything, like short of wearing a plastic tarp around with mm-hmm. a slit cut through, um, to just condoms. And and people need to understand, because I think our society really totes that, that safer sex is just condoms, and it's not. Like, just condoms still runs you the risk. Um, so you have to really know your information and, and what your activities, what risk your activities run you.
0: I actually, one time, No word of a lie. uh, Got an infection in my finger. Yep. Because I had an open sore. Yes. And I didn't wash my hands right after sex. Yes. And uh, I had to go to the hospital get it drained. Yep. One of it wasn't huge or anything. No, but it's
1: it's it still makes you aware. Uh, One of the biggest um, little activities that we like to run with uh, lesbians because you know it's it's understood or you know in in main culture that the lowest risk of exposure is uh, girl-on-girl sex. Um, And I absolutely hate that that's what doctors perceive because I say, put your hand in a bowl of lemon juice and feel that sting. And now you know just exactly how many open lines into your bloodstream you've got just in your hand. That's it. And how many women Mm -hmm. perform sexual acts on another woman with their hand and don't put any gloves on any kind of protection whatsoever because they feel it's safe. It's safer. Um, it's not necessarily, and women have a lot of fluid.
0: I actually had uh, a guest on earlier uh, this week who was talking about uh, how it creates like less friction too
1: mm-hmm.
0: if you're wearing gloves and, and yep. lube and all that. Yes, yes. Uh,
1: Especially if you're getting into something dynamic like fisting, you need to really get in there. And, well, yeah, that's the point, right? So,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is what are the usual issues that come up when a, a couple has sat down and said, okay, we're going to be polyamorous or we're going to be an open relationship? What kind of problems do they, do they normally come up with?
1: Um, well, the first thing that I, like, I mean, I'm looking outside of the box, right? So I'm looking at a couple who says, we're going to open up. They're now having to deal with change. And change on any level is really difficult. So they've had this life for however long it's going to be, 10 years, two years, however long they have now been monogamous, they're changing their dynamic. And both partners, whether they believe it or not, come to the table with certain expectations of what their open relationship is now going to look like. And some of them actually verbalize it and some of them don't. Some of those expectations are conscious and some of them are not. So yeah. you could really only, it, it's great, you can sit and read every single book you want, but until you put things into practice, that's the only time you're going to go, well, well, wait a second, that's not where I thought we were. And it, the couple that I talked about earlier is, is prime example. They thought they had a discussion and they came away with two different understandings from that from that um, conversation. We are not taught in our society to have true honest conversations we often talk around the subject and not necessarily write on the subject
0: i've said that a lot that we are trained to lie yeah because people say they want honesty yeah
1: but but they don't But they don't the hardest thing to hear is honesty
0: that's it it. that's uh and it could also be one of the hardest uh subjects to broach i mean if if you're in what was a, a monogamous relationship how do you how do you broach the subject of hey you know what I kind of want to spend a lot of time with this person too. Yes.
1: Especially when um, our society, again, promotes that you get your validation and your self-worth from being with another human being. And so until you can truly be loved by yourself and know that you are enough and know that this other person's attention doesn't feed your self-worth or your self-esteem, because that's where you're going to have issues. When your partner, who you believe... Has put you on a pedestal and made you his only one is now with multiple people. You now feel unworthy. You feel not worth, not enough, and that's where the, the insecurities start to creep up.
0: What kind of what kind of issues did you struggle with?
1: Um, I struggled with equality. I definitely struggled with equality in the sense that uh, because I was coming into already existing relationships, I found that other couples, these couples uh, made rules about my relationship and what it was going to be before I even entered the page. (laughs) Um, So I came in with a long list of demands and a long list of rules that I had to adhere to that absolutely went against what I believe is polyamory. I enter every single relationship as an individual with another individual, regardless of what their relationship status is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to know that the person that I'm entering a relationship with will uphold their, their guidelines and agreements that they've already made, but that they're not imposed by rules. Um, my favorite saying about rules is that if I have a partner who I trust and who trusts me and loves me, then I believe that their behavior will follow suit with that. And if I have a partner who doesn't respect me, rules are only a band-aid solution and they're only, it's only going to be a temporary situation before they break those rules and break the integrity of the relationship. Yeah. So I, I, do, I personally don't buy into rules. So
0: stay away from those relationships. Too, exactly. Right?
1: But and for the longest time though, those were my only options. What I felt were my only options, and the deeper I got into the polyamorous relation or polyamorous community,
2: I realized, oh my god, no,
1: there are other people just like me, so I can, uh, I can, yeah, focus in on them and not people that do hierarchy polyamory.
0: Now, you run a
1: group. What's the name of the group? Polyamory Toronto.
0: That's pretty simple. It is. I've been to some of the meets. Yep. Uh, I've been to a couple. But you don't just do meets, do you? You you actually do workshops. Yep.
1: Yep. We do a whole range. Like, I mean, our our favorite thing to do or our most popular thing to do are just social meet and greets. And we do those once a month and we get consistently, we've been getting 50 people a month to that. We have over 800 members, so it can be really difficult to get everybody together. Certainly not all 800 are active. We probably have a, a core of about 150 that come out to most things. Uh, but once a month, we also hold a discussion group. Um, we cap off the RSVPs at 20 because that, you can have an ideal situation and conversation with 20 people. Um, and we have run the gamut of topics on that. And they, they always have to do with polyamory. So,
0: dealing, well, yeah, I've, I've, scheduling.
1: Yep. Time management, polysaturation, uh, dealing with our insecurities, Uh, how you negotiate holidays and special dates. Like it's your birthday and all your partners want to take you out on a special date. How do you navigate that? How do you pick? Right. Some situations are really great to have one party with all your partners. Not everyone is that lucky. So, um, yeah, it it can be difficult.
0: I seen, uh, I saw you guys do a, a discussion on, uh, polyamory and and your children. I Yep.
1: Yes. Do you have children? I do. I have two children. I have an 18-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son. So when I started this journey years and years ago, um, they were, my son was still a lot younger and my daughter was just entering her teenage life. Um, And that was the primary drive for being solo polyamory, solo polyamorous, not wanting to primary partner with anybody because, um, my two-year relationship with a woman who I thought was going to be a life partner just up and left and devastated my children. I could get over the heart, heartbreak. I could get over, you know, anything that another human being wants to do to me, but not to my kids. Yeah. So that really hit home and, and made me realize that any relationships that I get into from here on out, um... There was no benchmark for me to go, when do I introduce them to my children? When do I open up their world again to this vulnerability? And I wasn't there. I absolutely wasn't there. So I kept a very separateness in um, my children and my romantic relationships.
0: Yeah. It's uh, a, my standard rule with, with the mother of my kids mm -hmm. is uh, six months. Yep. If you're with someone for six months. Then they can meet the kids. Yep.
1: And I'd love to have a steadfast rule like that, but I did it and then the relationship still ended. Yeah. Right? So you well,
0: never know. You never know. You absolutely it's, never know. My, uh, my youngest still stays in touch with uh, my most recent ex. Right. Because they just really hit it off. They bonded. And,
1: and they yeah, people need to up here and uphold that integrity of that bond.
0: I actually have it written down and, and said that if I should pass away, mm-hmm. that they stay in touch and my ex gets the power that I would have right. in decision making. Yep. Because I trust her that much. Yep. It just didn't work out. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so. Do you find that when someone says, or when you tell someone that you're polyamorous, that automatically that they think that you're easy or a slut or yep. something?
1: Absolutely even sometimes from other polyamorous people, because people can stamp on their forehead whatever label they want, and that doesn't necessarily make them that label. Their behavior makes them that label. So I've come across many monogamous people who would say they're monogamous, who are adulterers, who cheat, who lie. So are they still monogamous? No. So I'm on a a dating site, and I'm getting messages from people who... There's now a new component on OKCupid where you can put your relationship style as mostly or strictly monogamous <laughs> or non-monogamous. So people who are strictly monogamous, who are married, who are messaging me. So you're not monogamous. You have a, yes, I have a, a I'm a, I've got a wife, 20 years. It's a sexless relationship. Then you're not monogamous, buddy. And trying have trying to have that conversation um, to get the distinction doesn't work.
2: It almost sounds like—I mean, just based from the description alone—that it sounds like it—it f- it, uh, it would favor uh, guys over over girls. Mm-hmm. Because, A lot of people say yeah.
1: that, and I would have to disagree. Mm-hmm. I totally disagree. I disagree. Yes. Yes. There oh. are uh, women tend to be, um, I would say, more in control of their polyamorous relationships than their male counterparts are.
2: Yeah, I no. just think like if if I were in a monogamous relationship and she wanted to open up. I mean, you know, time will change. I'm only 24, mm-hmm. but if it were stated, it's just I'd, a baby. Yes. I'd probably be, be, I'd probably even reconsider being with that person at all. Just right. because a, a, at a younger age, it, you, you're, I'm so emotionally attached to the other person. Mm-hmm. The thought of them n- not getting enough out of me, it, 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 it would, it would hurt. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to handle it.
1: And that's a tough statement, <laughs> right? It's a really tough statement because I don't want to critique you. That's how you are as a human being. But
0: um, Everybody's just what they are. Yeah. When I was 24, I was sleeping with anything that breathed.
1: <laughs> uh, see, I wasn't. I'd have to say I was...
0: Squirrels <laughs> ran away from me. It was It was horrible.
1: No, I it was in just... a monogamous marriage for like from 18 to 28 that was my marriage and that was my life and i thought that that was what the world was going to be um when i look back now and think about that marriage because i think oh it was a good marriage it was a good friendship that's an excellent friendship it was an excellent co-parenting situation we were companionship for one another and i believe that many long-term relationships become just that yeah um and if you go into it knowing that that that's eventually what your relationship is going to evolve into. One of my favorite sayings that I tell everyone is longevity does not equal um, quality. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. It does not. So you can tell me, I've been married for 25 years. And I'd say, and how many of those 25 years have you been happy? Because many people are not happy in their long-term relationships.
0: I was, I was happy, I'd say, for the first two years of my marriage. Yep. Um, there are
1: scientific studies on that. On why?
0: The, the last, well, I, the why was because I was sold a bill of goods that was uh, misrepresented.
1: Mm. <laughs> no, they actually say there's chemical changes in your brain after you've spent longevity with people. Really? Yes. That the, the passion part of yeah. our brain is no longer engaged. That they now become in the security segment. So yeah. that whole hot, ripping clothes off thing doesn't happen anymore because it won't. That's not where this person, the emotions of this person land in your brain anymore.
0: That's very interesting. It
1: is very interesting.
0: Because it's true. Many relationships, they end up being just good roommates. Yes. And even though at different times both members of that relationship say, we need to work on something. Mm -hmm. It just kind of... Falls apart. Fizzles. Yeah. And as much as I, I... love my ex you know and, and as much as it it hurts me to have hurt her mm-hmm. that's what we became and so it's it's uh but i guess it, it can't be for everybody i imagine
1: i think that par- uh, partners that are coupled and who consciously know that it is going to take a shit ton of work because monogamy takes a shit ton of work i'm not saying that it's easy. Polyamory isn't easy, but each relationship style fits for certain people. And if that work doesn't feel like work to you, if it feels natural, that's when you know you've got a good
2: fit.
0: Well, a lot of it too uh, can be can be written off as laziness. I'm yes. monogamous because I'm too lazy to go out and fuck around. <sighs> <laughs>
1: Wow. I don't think that you can be successful in a monogamous relationship if you're lazy. I don't think you can be successful in any relationship if you're lazy.
0: Can't be successful in life if you're lazy. Right. I so that's another funny. topic. <laughs> 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 so as someone who has, has been with men and women. Yep. And is polyamorous. Uh, what are your thoughts on things like, you know, the adult industry and how they portray uh, these unrealistic, this my take unrealistic uh, uh, relationships.
1: Um, I think that a lot of our world is is perpetuated on on business and mm-hmm. money and materialism and making the world go round. And think about if people stopped getting married, what you know, how many catering businesses and halls and, and DJs and that is around a whole romanticized wedding spending. You know, thousands and thousands of dollars on this one big party, and then now let's forget about what that relationship is going to look like after that one day. Um, I think it's really unrealistic the way that we portray a lot of our um, a lot of our relationships, and I I find it really funny that you say our adult the adult industry yeah because look at our Disney movies and what we portray to our children. It is not just the adult industry; it's adults that are conveying this to our children. But our children are spoon-fed from a really, really young age. Um,
0: we, it's a, a something that I like to talk about is is uh, how society, you know, media and and, and uh, designers are sexualizing our children. Mm-hmm. It's been going on for a long time, and they had. Uh, Licenza Girls. Yep. And I remember uh, one of my kids got a, a bra and a T bar for her seventh birthday. Yeah. My head, I'm very liberal when it comes to adults. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're an adult, do whatever you want, fuck whoever you want, as long as nobody's getting hurt that doesn't want to get hurt. Yep. But
2: I like that little addendum that doesn't want that doesn't to get want hurt. not want
0: to get hurt, yes. But leave. Children alone. Yes. We don't need to see Miley Cyrus twerking. Nope. Okay. My, my youngest grew up watching Hannah Montana. Mm-hmm. And so, Mine what too. kind of message does it send to her when she sees an idol
2: twerking? And I mean, talk about not just about marriage, but about the act of sex in general. Yes. I mean, what's, what's a better consumer than a newborn baby? Yep. That thing is going to be draining its dependence of money for at least, you know, 18 to 20 years, 40. if not more than that. 40. I know. 40, yeah. Like, <laughs> it can literally yep. go on for the rest of their lives. Yep.
1: Absolutely. Our, cul- our culture with sex in general, um, that good old shame and guilt that we talked about earlier on um, comes to play in there. We don't talk about sexuality like the very basic human need that it is.
0: Um, well, I, and yeah. I was fortunate enough to, to be raised by uh, a woman who was very factual. Mm-hmm. And she told me, she said, that, you know, when kids ask you about sex, you know, mm-hmm. they point to a belly and say, well, how'd the baby get in there? Mm-hmm. Just tell them.
1: Yes. Right yes. And and I don't think that that's sexualizing our children. No, no. That's, but a lot of people do think education is well,
0: yeah, sexualizing. Exactly. It's there's there's a, a complete difference because it's... My, my mom has always said, don't give them more information than they want. Mm-hmm. You just tell them and they walk away. Yes. They'll come back and ask later. Yep. And I, I don't think that youth should be as in, in as, in as big a hurry to have sex as they are.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's, you know, again, something that we get from, from MTV and, and, uh, from the movies and stuff like that. And
2: uh, the constant message that having sex for the sake of having sex is isn't just good, but it's necessary. Arguably, just on a pure primal reproduction survival level, you don't need to have it unless you intend to create life. Everything else is just, you know, because humans want to do things that feel good.
1: Yep. Yep.
2: That's
0: that's how I live. I live by the end.
1: Me too.
2: Hedonistic.
0: I, I have a very poor impulse control. Yeah. Um,
2: but I mean, you also have to want it because that's how you actually get things going.
0: We actually, have to want the impulse control of the same. Yeah, yeah,
2: well, I mean, yeah, you have, there has to be the impulse control. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
0: How long do you think there's been like a poly scene? Oh,
1: uh, An organized poly scene.
0: I mean, because you hear about the the supposed orgies that they had in Rome. Right. In the, you know, the days of the Caesars and all that. Um, But is that a realistic view? I mean, historically have we always been an overly sexualized being?
1: I think it's really difficult to go to, to look back that far and rip it open and pull one or two things out of their way of being that we think is reflective of modern times. I think it's really, really skewed when we do things like that. And, and anybody can pull something out of history to suit their stance on a certain situation. So I think we need to be careful when we start talking about you know our, um, our ancestors and historians and that, because we don't live that way anymore. Um, tribal living was a way of life and it was a way of survival. Now, yes, people say that in tribes, there were non-monogamous relationships, but I also believe that there were monogamous relationships too. I think there were both. And I think there was the freedom to have both. Um, And that's what modern times has gotten away from. We no longer have the freedom. Non-monogamy is not viewed as a valid choice. And And monogamy is the default setting. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I've I've read some books where where they portray uh the women as the decision makers. Yes. You know, she wants to be with him and just him, and that was her choice until she's done with it. Yep. Um I've also heard that at uh like swingers' clubs and stuff, it's the women it's who It's the women
1: who have to initiate. It's
0: initiate and and, and run the show. And run the show. Yep. Which is good for me because of my, my fear of rejection. Yeah. Uh, yep. But at what point does the man get to say?
1: <sighs> I think that it uh, some of those things that have have come into play because we've come from uh, male dominated societies and male males who have misused their power um, for so many times where women have been uh, property. And I think that that's the birth of monogamy was based on um, your land. When people started to actually get land issued to them, the male wanted to be able to provide this land to his offspring, and the only way that he could prove that those children were legitimately his is if he controlled the woman and controlled her sexuality and knew that the children she birthed were only his. And so monogamy was truly birthed out of control and dominance and so i think that we're now you know trying to, to get away from that and that's why the women are are in the lead and it, it's the feminist revolution and um do i think that maybe we've gone a little bit too far absolutely i do um because i think that everyone's opinion is valid uh, but while i hold that opinion myself i'm also i'm also a lot of times I have these conversations with my friends and I just had this very conversation last night when a man and a woman go out on a first date together, he's thinking about rejection, whether or not, um, this is, you know, is he being judged? Uh, things like that. The woman is worried about, is he going to take me back home and murder me? Is he going to rape me? So our differences, what's on our minds are completely unparalleled.
0: See, it's funny. Cause I've actually, uh, had those thoughts, yeah, with men, right? And it's like I'm in the situation, and I have to do the do, mm-hmm. or I'm losing all my fucking teeth, yeah. And I've been in that situation, and it's, and it's, you can't really call it rape because I never said no, okay. But,
3: but did there was you feel that coerced?
0: under. But it was that that under yes. underlying.
3: You knew that if you
0: that said was, no,
1: it could have turned a hell of a lot worse. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So. I'll be willing and I'll make sure that I I learn my lesson and I won't get into this situation again. So how many women out there do that on a weekly basis while they're looking for their true true love, true love, their one and only, where they're going on multiple dates every single weekend and they think, oh, this guy is so charming and he's great. And then they get alone with him and he turns into maybe someone else, maybe not, who knows?
0: Sometimes they don't even change until after you've moved in, until you've given up that. Exactly. Until they've... Worked on isolating, and them. I
1: absolutely, I have to say this. I do not like that. Even in this conversation we are making, our males of our society out to be predators. It sounds like that's what we're saying. Um, I don't believe it. I, I
2: think there's, I think there's partly- some truth to it. Uh, I think, I think one of the problems is that, um, as much as we can't really extrapolate too much based off history, but if you look at gender roles, men had to. You know, hunt. They had to fight. There Mm -hmm. was a lot of opportunities to get that aggression out. And nowadays, with exception, men and women can pretty much do the same things. I know you get into specifics. There will be some clear differences. But overall, what is there that a woman couldn't accomplish that a man could? Right. And because of that, what you know, aside from just being the vessel for the woman to have her her baby – you know, what else can a man really achieve in his life? And
1: Yes, civilized society has I brought a, brought upon us this. You're absolutely right. Men
0: have a greater capacity to love a losing cause than women. <laughs> I, I know this because I've seen Toronto Maple Leaf fans.
1: Hey, I'm a Toronto Maple Leaf fan too, so watch your words. Watch your words. <laughs> watch your words. <laughs> uh, no, but you are right. I've had a conversation with a really good male friend of mine, and he says – from a very early on uh, period, men and boys are told never to give up. Never to give up. So if you are... feel Yes, persistence. So if you are trying to conquer a woman, and you, you may not even realize you're trying to conquer her, but you've set your sights on her, and now you want her. Um, and you're told whatever you want, don't give up. Persistence. So you keep at it. You keep at it.
0: I've also run into... Uh, the situation where a woman has said no, mm-hmm. but then expects me to still pursue
2: her. Like it's a test?
0: Like or- it's a test or something. You know, they're like, they they don't want to come across, I guess, as, as easy or whatever, like we were saying before. That often sexual liberation comes across as being a slut, whatever. But then they get all upset with me. See, we're backing off. Like, well, yeah, because they're like, oh, we're not going to sleep together. You can sleep in the same bed, but don't try anything. I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, I like to cuddle. That's cool. And the next day they're like, well, how come you didn't try it? Because. Right.
1: Because. And and that's where the ownership on on everybody comes into play. Um, ultimately, that's a person you don't want to interact with because they don't know themselves well enough to, to have those open and clear conversations. Exactly. To say, I really want to have sex with you but I am afraid of being called a slut. I am afraid of what you will think of me. I'm afraid of what society will think of me, what my mother will think of me. They can't have that conversation with you. Ultimately, at the end of the day, they're somebody who is closed off. They're not somebody you want to be with.
0: And I I think the thing that has helped me be more, I don't know really what phrase I want to use, more uh, accepting, I guess, of women's desires Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know and if a woman tells me no then it's no right you know if a woman tells me this has actually happened too Uh, i've had lesbian friends Mm -hmm. that i've hung out with and then a few years later i run into them they're like how can we why don't we have sex because you told me you're a lesbian
1: right and that's again where you people can wear multiple labels um so for a long time um after i left uh this relationship with this woman I still fully believed wholeheartedly in my in my core that I was a lesbian. Um, but I didn't want to have relationships. I still wanted to have an element of sexuality. So, yeah, I tried the no-strings-attached casual sex thing, and it literally was impossible to do with a female. It was impossible.
0: Because the moment you have sex with them, they want a relationship. It,
1: the women that I came across, of, yes, and that is the typical joke, right? What does a woman, a lesbian, bring on the second date? Toothbrush. The U-Haul. Yeah. No, it was the <laughs> yeah. And so I had a pivotal moment where I went, okay, I think if I want no strings attached, casual sex for now, I have to open myself back up to men. And I did. And so for about a year, I was the running joke that I was the lesbian who slept with men <laughs> because, you know, and they would, all of my friends would say, so you're bisexual. And I would say, no. And they'd go, Eva, come on, you're really fucking with my head. Um, and, that was when I started to break down the interpretation for myself on what bisexual was. And I said, being bisexual means that you can emotionally, spiritually, and physically interact with any gender. And I said, and I, at that moment, could not spiritually and emotionally connect with a man. So I went, so therefore I am not bisexual. I am a lesbian who sleeps with men. I have sense
0: so, so around. So do you think, do you think <laughs> there's any validity to the Kinsey scale or? Absolutely. Is it shit? Absolutely. Hang on. I, at that point, I,
2: I don't know what the Kinsey scale is. I think we should define that.
0: All right. So, uh, this scientist.
1: Dr. Kinsey. Dr. Kinsey. Dr. Kinsey.
0: Uh, has, uh, what's called the Kinsey scale. It's a scale from zero to six of human sexuality. And I believe it's completely heterosexual zero, completely homosexual six. And what Kinsey said was, only 10% of the population is a zero, and only 10% of the population is a six, which is where the gays have this 10% club. Um, but even they, uh, there's different gradations, right? Black and white is very rare. It's always a shade of gray. And so from there, you know.
1: One to five is a nice shade of gray that's in the it. middle. Yeah. And I literally have swung from one end of the Kinsey scale to the other. And now I hover nicely in the middle.
0: Nice. Yeah. I just – I've never been attracted to men mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. Sex is fun. So I have sex with whoever. Right. Uh, I'm so not it's getting
1: – It's a physical – That's it. Um, It's a physical release for you regardless of what the vessel is. Exactly. And that is exactly what I said. I I have always said that I believe that everybody is born bisexual. If you put a blindfold on and somebody touched you, you would be aroused if you didn't know who it was because you could build the fantasy in your head Mm -hmm. of who that person was. uh, We're conditioned.
0: One of my earliest memories uh, about sexuality was hearing my mom on the phone with my stepdad they'd already broken up uh and she's saying dude you're gay if you close your eyes and someone's sucking your dick it doesn't matter right you're you're getting caught up on on everything you grew up because he grew up in a very small town like no sidewalks
2: yep yep you know sounds quaint (laughs) oh it's it's a
0: great carriage and it's it's a great town, and uh, he was one hell of a thief. It was great,
1: uh, <laughs> but it comes with it small town ideology. Exactly. Small town ideology fits in a really small box. And you know he
0: had he had been uh, uh, attacked for being gay growing up. You know mm-hmm. the sixties and seventies, and you know it's just two guys having fun. But he you know so it was funny hearing that, and and so I've always thought in my head, if it feels good, do it and that, that doesn't was...
1: mean you have to attach to it. And, and unfortunately, a, a good portion of our generation comes with if you have sex with somebody, you must have a relationship with them. Um, so, you know, have we broke? I know a lot of people have broken out of that. Um, maybe too far one way where people are just having sex with people and not building any kind of core relationships, which can be just as damaging yeah. because we need to have interpersonal connections. We need to have intimacy and sex is not intimacy. Sex is a component of intimacy, and you need to have all components present in order to really be fulfilled.
3: It's like ice cubes. Right. Not all drinks need ice cubes.
0: Right. <laughs> um, but that's that's true, though. It's, it's. Uh, uh, I mean, to me, like I said before, I like to cuddle. Mm-hmm. For me, that's, that's the intimacy.
1: That's intimacy, right. You know?
0: Uh, I mean, I've had sex and... Various places. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely nothing intimate about it. It is purely for the goal of getting off or getting your partner off.
1: Some sexual interactions I treat as, you know, you're hungry, you eat. You're tired, you sleep. If you're horny, you have sex. And it doesn't necessarily always have to be with a trusting, loving partner. Um, so I kind Although of- <laughs> it always has to be
0: with someone who agrees.
1: Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> That's a given to me. Um, but when you're longing for something more than just a release and a need, um, but a desire and a want, mm-hmm. that's where the intimacy comes in.
0: So how have you managed to, to fit this ideal in your life? I mean, do you talk to your kids about it? Like- yes.
1: My kids are uh, 100% on board. Um, in fact, I just did, I just agreed to do um, an on-camera uh, interview with some Ryerson students, and they interviewed my son. So that was utterly fantastic. Um, I can't necessarily say that they're on board. My daughter is 18. She chooses to have mostly monogamous relationships. Yeah. I would say her relationships are monogamish. <laughs> um, for the most part. Again, she's young, right? And when you're young, you make some mistakes, and you don't necessarily... And- yeah. Everything's
0: beautiful and yeah. I've never been in this love before and everything's yep. huge. And
1: and you still have faith and you still believe. And a lot of her, like I said, the Disney, the Disney characters, she fully believes that there is going to be a one and only. She really does. And I don't want to break her little heart, but I tell her, you know, every relationship has an expiry date. Mm-hmm. When we uh, choose to attach to people that we want to be our life partners, we hope that the expiry date is going to be one of our deaths kind of morbid but it's true Mm -hmm. and for the most part the majority of relationships are not that way
0: no it's it's uh... it's
1: very rare when your relationship with anybody carries that longevity yeah death um so do i hope that my relationships and all of my interactions that i get into are long term yes i hope that they are healthy on the long term Mm -hmm. but i will only ever stay in relationships that are healthy And if healthy ends at six months, then yeah. Then the relationship ends uh, at six months. Yeah.
0: Totally. Yeah. I I completely agree. Uh...
1: Trying to recognize that, I think, is the ultimate challenge of life. When does a relationship become unhealthy and unhealthy enough that is unfixable? How long do I stay dedicated to this? How long do I keep compromising myself and um, working at this common goal? It's... Such gut feeling for me.
0: I was told by a very wise man once that when you're thinking about breaking up with someone, sit down and really think about what you'd be losing. Yep,
1: the benefits. If you that, break up with
0: that person, yes. and uh, as you'd said before with with your relationships or, or other relationships you'd, you'd seen, uh, my ex-wife and I we just became roommates. And not even that very friendly. Yeah. So it was like, what yeah. am I losing? I'm losing a headache. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. So and it's, it can uh, be
1: really hard though, especially when our relationships are based on economic need. Mm-hmm. A lot of people go, wow, I'd be losing half of my rental income and I can't afford $1,000 a month as opposed to 500 And when it comes down to that basic of a benefit, you can't ignore it anymore. No, you can't. And no. I've heard so many couple partnerships. I, I have a lot of people who confide in me. And when they confide that I just can't afford to leave them, then I say then put yourself in the position where you can, as fast as you can.
0: When, when I broke up, my last uh, relationship, uh, breaking up with her made me homeless. Right. And so it was a choice of, do I come off like an asshole but tell her the truth? And do what's right for both of us, or do I milk her for the benefits? Right. And just because I'm not in love with her doesn't mean I I don't love her. I'll always love her. Yes. If you love someone, I believe if you love someone truly, you'll always love them.
1: But if you are unable to act from a place of loving and compassion where you are hurting each other, that is when it is no longer a stable, viable um, situation to be in and... That, that's what I'm coming to when I say that these couples that are I'm just there for the basic economic need, then I always say, then you are really in, in danger of hurting each other. Yeah. You're,
2: yeah, it's just not a healthy situation. It's especially Get scary when it. you hear about relationships that are trying to save themselves through having a child. Yes. Like if we don't have this kid, then we're not going to stick together.
1: Okay, so polyamory is the next step of that. Some people open up their relationship to save the relationship and you can see those red flags a mile away mm-hmm. and they're not going to be successful in poly.
0: I, I have a friend who's been back and forth dealing with that with his, yes, his significant partner. other yep. and it's uh, may not be nice, but I just sit back and laugh.
1: Yeah, you can't, it's not me. <laughs> you can't
2: inject yourself in it. <laughs> I've had a question that I'm uh, kind of itching to ask, um, and I would do my best to word it properly, but I can imagine that someone agrees to it, and like you said, the communication wasn't fully there and things uh, didn't pan out the way they wanted to, and it makes them very angry. H- have you uh, uh, witnessed or uh, experienced like a total backfire? Yeah, Like things going incredibly awry.
1: Yeah, to abuse. To abuse. To abuse. To abusive levels. Yes, I have. I absolutely have. It's um. It's difficult for me to, to even talk about that um, because when you – we take people for granted for the words they speak. Absolutely. And you hope that their integrity comes through in their actions. And when they don't, it's really, really difficult to reconcile the two. Um. And when you see emotionally manipulative behavior um, come out of somebody who wholeheartedly uh, embraces the polyamory philosophy, um, it's, yeah, it's difficult to swallow. It's really difficult to swallow and disengage from and say, I don't like the person you are right now. And if you truly want to live a polyamorous life, you need to check yourself. Mm-hmm. You really need to check yourself because right now what you're doing isn't that.
0: Yeah, I've but never believed in that whole honeymoon phase. You know, like... You start dating someone and you're on your very, very best behavior. Yep. I've, I've never done that. Mm-hmm. I'm just me right from the get-go. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. But that's a thing in polyamory as well, right? That's what we coined. So the monogamous um, society has the honeymoon phase. We have NRE, new relationship energy. And that, again, is backed up by scientifics. Those things that are activated in your brain, when you are in the throes of new relationship energy, it's a a chemistry that's going on in your brain and you really can't, you really cannot depend on your decision making at that time. So you may wholeheartedly be yourself and I truly believe that, um, but when you meet someone new, are you not kind of a little euphoric? Oh, totally. Okay. So when you're in that euphoric state, that's when you can't go, oh my God, I want to move in with you and we're going to have six children and I can already see our wedding and I have all of our children named. (laughs) I did that. I did that with my girlfriend. I left my husband for this woman, picked my husband up, put her in, basically like created the same life and then didn't understand why it didn't work. (laughs) Right. And it was like, oh my God, that's why that period of being alone for that year after that relationship ended, um was monumental to me. It was,
0: I've never done that. I've, I know I have codependency issues. Okay. But, uh,
1: I was raised in a very codependent house. So it made sense to me after the fact that that would be what I would mimic. See,
0: I was raised by a single mother. Right. Right. So completely uh, different. Right. And I'm hoping that that maybe that's,
1: yeah, Mm -hmm. that's what I'm hoping I've role modeled for my children by remaining single is that they realize that you're, you're, your identity doesn't have to be tied into someone the else's identity. You. Yeah, the relationship doesn't define you.
0: Well, Eva, yeah. I want to thank you for coming on. Thank yes, you. Thank you. We could talk literally for another for hour or yep. day or whatever. Yep. Uh,
1: I would love to come back again and we can do. tackle a yep. whole bunch of different
0: I, uh, I definitely want to kind of, set of questions. Because you had brought up uh, feminism earlier and I don't believe feminism exists anymore mm-hmm. because
2: they're a bunch of stupid fucking kids. I did a that joke. I did a joke in that Oshawa. Yes. We're about to wrap up and that's where we're Stand going. Stand
1: by for that to come up again.
0: <laughs> Stand by. Exactly. Yeah. I, I did a show in Oshawa, uh, and there are women in their fifties and sixties in the audience. And I made a Gloria Steinem reference and they just looked at me blankly.
1: Really? Wow. It's disgusting. Yeah. Frankly. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say that feminine doesn't exist, but it's evolved and maybe it's evolved to something you don't like. That could possibly be what's happened. Are you getting old? It's, Sorry.
0: <laughs> it's, 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 I am getting old. And so am I. It's all good. It's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, thank you again. Thank you. And uh, is there anything you want to plug? Where, where can we find you and where can we find out uh, more about your group?
1: So Polyamory Toronto is actually on meetup.com. You have to go there in order to do it. Oh,
2: meetup. I was going to guess it was on meetup. Yeah, it's on meetup.com.
1: Right. And that we like that forum just uh, for the ability to run our events smoothly and it's RSVP options and whatnot. Uh, it's a private group, so we actually have requirements in order for you to join. Um, it's a closed group, so anybody outside of our group can't see that you're a member because privacy is an issue for our some polyamorous.
0: Not um, everybody's open. about not it. Not
1: everybody is open about it. And so mm-hmm. we definitely strive to balance discretion versus disclosure. We want to have a really open community, but we want to protect our community members at the same time. So we do that through uh, a relatively simple but accurate uh, vetting process, um, a personal profile picture and f- answers to four simple questions. You start um, answering with some targeted kind of polyamory language, then we kind of know you're on board. Um, people who are just looking to hook up usually come through in their language.
0: I, uh, I don't remember the questions.
1: Good. Well, go, br- <laughs> go back and review them. Uh, but, yeah, that's where you can find us. We have a Facebook um a Facebook account, which is basically information sharing. We have a Twitter account, which is again basically information sharing. All of and we now have a website polyamorytoronto.ca, nice. but all of our events, our local community events, are on Meetup.com, and you can't get that information unless you're a member. And so, and
0: what if we're going to follow you on Twitter?
1: Yes. Oh, it's uh, poly Is it Polly Toronto at polytoronto. Toronto
0: at Polly at Polly
1: Toronto. Okay. Yep. And Facebook, it's polyamorytoronto.
0: Excellent. Can't wait to have you back on the show.
2: Sounds good. Those of you wanting to learn more should check out Playground, the sexuality conference from November 7th to 9th. With topics ranging from relationship intimacy to ANA 101, there is something for you guaranteed. I'd go to both just to see if there's any correlation. It takes place at the downtown Toronto Holiday Inn at 30 Carlton Street, and that's November 7th to 9th. Cheers.